rather than relying on my own economic prowess, I just look to the data from our buyers, which we've talked about a little bit already. And that is indicating to me that we are going to likely see a home price correction nationwide and in many markets in 2023. And the specific piece of data I'm looking at is the discount that our buyers are building in to their purchases at foreclosure auction, as well as REO auction, but it's a little more clear at foreclosure auction. Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, your host for the Housing News Podcast. And being January of a new year, this month is loaded with economic forecasts, predictions, and analysis to help us better understand what's going to happen in the 2023 housing market. Today's guest is Darren Blumquist, VP of Market Economics at Auction.com. And we invited Darren on to talk about a really kind of unique perspective that he's able to gain from the data that drives through the Auction.com platform to help us better understand what we anticipate will happen in the retail housing market influenced by what's currently happening in the distressed and investor marketplace. Darren has been around this space for quite a while and understands the the long-term cyclical impacts and the historical context that is necessary to really understand the data that we're watching today. I hope you enjoy this episode with Darren Blomquist, VP of Market Economics at Auction.com. All right. Awesome. Well, Darren, thrilled to have you here today. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Housing News Podcast. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me, Clayton. So Darren, I want to jump right into it. I think a good place to start is talking about how your vantage point at auction.com and the information that you see through the auction platform provides a, maybe let's call it a unique vantage point or a barometer for how people see the housing market and like what might translate or flow into retail home price dynamics down the road? Yes, we think we have a pretty unique uh, vantage point here because we have you know this data of a real-time auction marketplace. The uh, retail market doesn't operate as an auction. And so there's actually less, in some ways, less data uh, available, but we're auctioning off thousands of properties every month. Uh, now they are distressed properties, they're not retail bar- properties, but they are... Um, the, the, our buyers are are folks who we call them local community developers. They're real estate investors who are usually operating in a local market and know that market extremely well. They would be the ones you would want to go to to ask, hey, you know, what's happening in this market? Should I buy? What What's the value of this home? They would know that off the top of their head. And so their behavior on our platform tells us a lot about what they're expecting in the market in the next six to 12 months, because the other thing is because they're buying distressed properties on auction.com, they're taking these properties, rehabbing them, and then either reselling them back into the market to an owner-occupant or they're renting the property. And so their end user at the end of the day is a, is a retail buyer or retail renter. And that is happening about six months, six to 12 months in the future. So their livelihood depends on them successfully anticipating what the market's going to look like six to 12 months down the road. So their behavior on our platform when they're purchasing properties tells us a lot about what's going to happen six to 12 months down the road in the retail market. Uh, and so that's uh, that's a lot of what uh, we look at. Of course, from our perspective, it's important for our buyers and sellers 
in kind of the short term, but in the longer term, it's important for the retail market. If we rewind like back six or 12 months, were you starting to see kind of similar indicators in the auction data and first half 2022? Like what's kind of the historical context on being able to decipher the trends you're seeing today and how that's kind of back tested? Yeah, that's a great question. And we did see a, a shift, a pretty dramatic shift right about February, March of 2022. And we were starting to see mortgage rates go up at that point. And a lot of this is just like the retail market mortgage rate driven. Uh, even though our buyers are buying with cash, they care about what those mortgage rates are because they they may refi the property, but they also are selling back into the retail market. So around February, March, we saw a lot of our metrics that we look at kind of bottom out in the sense of during the pandemic, similar to the retail market, our buyers were in a little bit of a frenzy. I mean, they were willing to buy properties at a rate that we had never seen before. Now, part of that had to do with lower inventory <laughs> as well, but uh, because of the foreclosure moratorium, but we saw an unprecedented percentage of properties that were available for auction that sold. And also the price that investors, our buyers were willing to pay for those properties hit unprecedented levels as well. But we saw that change in February, March, and our buyers started pulling back, started buying fewer properties, a lower percentage of properties, and started bidding more conservatively. And we, I can put some specific numbers around this if it helps. But yeah, basically, we saw that shift. And we saw that shift continue. And it is actually still continuing. The trend downward is, is slowing down near the end of 2022. Um, but it, it has continued down that trend of, of our buyers becoming uh, shrinking their buy box and buying fewer properties and also shrinking their uh, or bidding more conservatively. And so building in more of a discount cushion when they buy in anticipation of potentially home prices being a headwind for them rather than a tailwind in 2023. You brought up the topic of the foreclosure moratorium. So I think that kind of opens a, a good conversation about the source of inventory on on the auction.com platform. Maybe you can kind of describe this if the source of inventory like has changed at different points in the cycle, specifically as we navigated COVID. Yeah, I mean, the source of inventory has because of the foreclosure moratorium, which was it was on government backed mortgages during the pandemic. And so that source of inventory uh, dried up. Now, it, there was a, a fairly, I wouldn't call it a big loophole, but there was one a fairly big exception, which is, which is on vacant properties. And so a lot of the inventory early on in the pandemic that we saw that did come through was vacant properties, which was a little different than what we had seen before. There were already always vacant properties included in the inventory, but this was pretty much all vacant. And then um, the ones that weren't vacant were properties that were not secured by government-backed mortgages. So that really dried up. And we were seeing in the immediate aftermath of the pandemic on our platform, which we account for about 40 to 50% of all foreclosure auctions nationwide, we were seeing the numbers down to as low as 5% of pre-pandemic levels. So basically a 95% decrease. Oh, wow. And that's driven both by new inventory coming online as well as the increased sell-through rate. So things are moving faster once they hit the platform. Yeah, that's a good point. The new inventory as well as we also do REO auctions or bank-owned auctions after the foreclosure happens. If the bank is selling the property, 
And that inventory was very much impacted by the sell-through rates that we're talking about. Those sell-through rates being so high, less of the inventory actually made it back to the bank and became REO. And so that inventory also dried up. And that inventory became very much disproportionately older aged inventory properties and rural inventory properties that buyers in the past had kind of skipped over and shunned in the past. And we did see actually buyers became more willing to pick up some of that aged inventory as well. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay. So at what point in the last year or whatever the time frame is, did you start to see some of the foreclosure moratorium um, impacts start to kind of shake away and see some of that, that bank owned REO conventional mortgage inventory start to, you know, come back to pre pandemic levels. Yeah. Well, I would say we still haven't seen it come back to pre pandemic levels. We're still on our platform at about um, 50% of pre pandemic levels in terms of the foreclosure inventory on the REO side we're, I think, uh, just a little above 60%, but that number has come up just in the last few months because that sell-through rate has started to go down. But still, in either case, we're quite a bit below pre-pandemic levels, 40 to 50% below pre-pandemic levels. Um, that number shifted around September of 2021. We saw that number shift, and that was, the foreclosure moratorium was over in at the end of July 2021. Uh, but then the CFPB put in, in place a temporary rule that was, in effect, basically a de facto moratorium until the end of the year. But once the original moratorium ended in July, we did see an uptick starting in September of 2021. And then Janu- the first quarter of 2022, we, all, we really did see an even bigger uptick in inventory starting to come through. And so if you look at the graph, there wasn't this flood of inventory. And I think at that point, everybody knew there was very few people who were concerned that there was going to be a big tsunami of foreclosures hit once the moratorium was lifted. And we definitely did not see that. We saw more of a gradually rising tide of foreclosure inventory starting to hit as the moratoriums ended. And as forbearance kind of winds down as well, that's another factor here. In the like the heavy seller's market that we were in for most of the last two years, did that just create a dynamic of liquidity for for homeowners who may have been in a situation where uh, foreclosure was was eminent? They had the ability to to quickly sell properties and were and were positive on on equity, so the foreclosure just wasn't the you know the the, the necessary path. Yes, I think uh, that's part of it, and part of it is that the pandemic ended up being more of a, a short-term shock. It was not the long-term shock that maybe some feared. And a lot of that had to do with all of the stimulus thrown at the pandemic to prevent the shock from happening. And of course, we're dealing with the consequences of some of that stimulus now, but in the shorter term, that resulted in employment coming back a lot quicker than maybe some people anticipated. And, you know, unemployment is one of the biggest drivers of foreclosure. Actually, it's, I would argue, there's recent uh, research to support this, that it's a much bigger driver of foreclosure than, uh, than equity, loss or negative equity. And so I think that's one issue. And the, the shock was not as long term as some people has, had anticipated. And then the other piece is because of the booming housing market, a lot of folks did have equity in their homes. And so had a lot of options to avoid foreclosure, even if they were in trouble. And so that helped collectively prevent many of foreclosures that 
potentially could have happened as a result of the pandemic. So if we shift our focus over to the demand side of the equation and think about the investors and buyers of distressed properties, one of the other phenomenons we've seen over the last few years is just this increased interest in single family rentals and fix and flip investing and short term rentals. Has this focus on real estate, you know, which has always been a popular retail asset class to invest in, but has this like kind of craze in short-term rental or single-family rental changed the profile of the buyers on the platform or um, toward more retail or even brought more institutional interest? Yeah, that's a great question uh, as well. And what's interesting is the institutional buyers have gone away from our platform and not specifically our platform, but away from the auction, foreclosure auction environment in general to acquire properties. That was a big acquisition channel for the institutional buyers back in, say, 2009, 2010. And for the single family rental market, especially, that's kind of when they many of those institutions got a lot of their inventory was at the foreclosure auction back when the volumes were extremely high over a decade ago. But as the volume started to go down and as the housing market recovered, the foreclosure auction became less of a channel for those buyers. And so we actually don't see many of those institutional single family rental buyers on our platform. I have seen a few of them reach out and express interest. Like, you know, if we see more foreclosures come through, we might gear up and try to buy some more at the auction. But instead, what has happened over the last few years is that our buyer base has shifted much more toward the, what I mentioned earlier, the local community developer buyer. And some of them are newer to the newer investors. They just started getting into real estate investing in in the last few years. And so that has become our dominant buyer is someone who is investing, but maybe only buying five properties a year at the most, or maybe just one. And that's 80 to 90% of our, our buyer base right now. And we actually have a surprising number of folks who are buying to live in the properties, which is somewhat amazing to me, given the obstacles to that kind of retail buyer is that, you know, most of these purchases are all cash and most of these properties are properties that need significant rehab. And so a retail buyer is going to have to have that challenge. But we've seen uh, that number creeping up too to, you know, close to 10 to 15% of our uh, buyers, depending on how you look at it, are buying the homes and they say, at least they say they're buying them to occupy them. And so that's really interesting to me um, to see that that retail buyer come in. They're just trying to get favorable financing. <laughs> Kidding. But I mean, it doesn't surprise me that much to see an influx of owner occupants toward distressed. Like when you consider the rapid home price appreciation and affordability challenges the last few years, you might have um, you know, uncovered a, a segment of the, the retail home buyer who is priced out of the retail market and looking for an alternative path to you know, house hack their way into home ownership. Yeah. And, and there's been government, you know, to give credit where credit is due, there's been some government programs by FHA specifically expanding their first look program, which is giving a first look to owner occupants at the auction. So they have 30 days to make a bid before investors are allowed to bid. That has helped as well. Some of those programs to encourage that um, direct owner occupant purchase of the properties. But you know, a lot of these to get, I guess, back to your original question is that 
certainly, I would say the booming housing market of the last few years has brought in a lot of buyers who want to ride the wave of home price appreciation or rent appreciation that is probably unsustainable in the long term, but um, have jumped on the train. Well, I think your comment on probably unsustainable brings us to the article that you penned for Housing Wire just over a, a week ago, where you shared your 2023 housing market predictions. And Darren, I won't um, I won't steal your thunder, but uh, I will lead you into the, the first prediction that that you made for 2023, where home price correction likely nationwide in a majority of markets. You want to go into how you're thinking about this prediction and how it relates to the the data that we just talked through. Yes, absolutely. This is really, rather than relying on my own economic prowess, I just look to the data from our buyers, which we've talked about a little bit already. And that is indicating to me that we are going to likely see a home price correction nationwide and in many markets in 2023. And the specific piece of data I'm looking at is the discount that our buyers are building in to their purchases at foreclosure auction, as well as REO auction, but it's a little more clear at foreclosure auction. That during the height of the pandemic frenzy, on average, our buyers were only building in a 9% discount below what's called as-is value of the home, given its condition. That has over the last basically six months to nine months, that's gone from 9% to 29%. Discount. So now instead of just 9% discount, they're building in a 29% discount. And that tells me that they are anticipating a correction, not just because that discount is higher than the pandemic levels, but is also higher than the pre pandemic levels. Prior to the pandemic, that discount was pretty steady. It was a pretty stable number of about 20 to 25% discount that our buyers were purchasing at. And I can talk about the discount more because I don't, you know, it might be confusing to people, but you know, the point is they're building in a bigger discount, even than pre-pandemic. And pre-pandemic, if you remember back to 2019, we were seeing maybe 2 to 5% home price appreciation that year for most of the months. And so the fact that our buyers are building in that much bigger discount tells me that at the very least, they're anticipating price appreciation going back to 2019 levels. And more likely, they're anticipating price appreciation actually going a little bit negative in 23. And we see that that same 9 to 29% shift that we saw nationwide, we see an even bigger shift in some markets. Um, Some of the top markets that are most at risk are Jacksonville, Florida, Los Angeles, San Diego, Minneapolis, Riverside, California. Those are the top five that saw that biggest shift for the discounts that our buyers are building into their purchases. Can you go a little bit deeper on the the as-is value? And I'm kind of curious about how as is values has have also trended over the last two to three years and and how they've been how they've reflected home price appreciation, trying to kind of square out the the discount to the as is value calculation. Yeah, I think that's pretty perceptive because you know the as is value ultimately with these properties, there's no interior inspection with the foreclosure auction. So the estimated value of the property is basically an automated value or a BPO of the home, a drive-by <laughs> BPO. And so it's part of the reason that you saw that pre-pandemic 20 to 25% discount is the risk that comes with figuring out the value of a home without seeing the inside of the home <laughs> and inspecting the inside of the home. And so our buyers were willing to shrink that discount 
in part because the market was moving so quickly during the, the pandemic, so quickly up, that the as-is values of the home were somewhat outdated. It's forgiving market to buy in. Like when the home prices are shooting up so quickly, it's hard to buy bad. Right. Yeah, you have a huge cushion, um, but now the opposite is true. So you have that cushion evaporating very quickly, and so the risk all of a sudden becomes greater. Um, and the as-is values in a market, especially that is decelerating or even going negative, again, those as-is values are lagging. And so the value today <laughs> may be less tomorrow than what it is. So they're kind of chasing things downward as, as opposed to chasing things upward during the pandemic. I wonder what values would look like or like uh, discounts would look like in a chart overlaid with building materials and labor costs. If that's something that some of the buyers are taking into account, which actually from the data I've seen is a little more forgiving today than it was 12 months ago. I have to imagine there were buyers at, you know, peak appreciation periods who needed to do gut reno or completely demolish and start again, had trouble finding labor or, you know, had materials costs that were higher than the modeled. Yeah, absolutely. We hear that. We anecdotally, there's no data point that we have that tell, speaks to that. But anecdotally, in talking to some of our buyers, I definitely heard that. And that's one of the reasons when we saw this shift back in February, March, our assumption is this has a lot to do with mortgage rates. And so we reached out to our, some of our buyers to ask them, why are you building this bigger discount? And the main reason was the mortgage rates. But a secondary important reason was that labor costs and building costs have gone up. And so, and it's hard to find, you know, I remember one guy saying, I can't find anybody to even lift a hammer these days. So I think that's, to your point, there's data indicating that's getting better, but certainly that was a consideration in that shift. Interesting. So I don't know if you, you can do this, but if you think about like how our housing news audience should internalize and think about this, this prediction for their business. So like, let's think about executives at, at mortgage banks. How do you think ex executives at mortgage banks should kind of internalize this knowledge that you're providing about the insight you're seeing in the auction market, the discounts that you're seeing auctions sell for and, and what it may be predicting for home prices later in 2023? Yes, I think that certainly um, the, big, the big takeaway to me is that home prices will likely correct and in many markets. And I use the word correction as opposed to crash or anything like that, because at this point, the data is indicating it's not going to be something super dramatic, but that will happen. And I think on the, on the origination side for mortgage bankers, this actually has good news because I think the market needs to correct to bring back demand. And, you know, I think that's what <laughs> the Fed is, is, it's probably it's not their their primary purpose in all of what they're doing, but certainly they've been pretty. Uh, uh, Chairman Powell has been pretty uh, explicit about calling for a home price or a home housing correction. And so, anyway, yes, I think it's good news. In in the quicker that the market can respond and correct, the faster demand will come back on the mortgage origination side. And then, I mean, we would say what we care about even more is the mortgage servicing side, and I think the implication for the executives on that side of the um, of the equation is, is listen to the market and adjust pricing to get properties sold um, sooner rather than later in a in a decelerating or even down downshifting market. And again, that 
to me, if sellers adjust pricing, and this is true for the retail side as well, the quicker that sellers adjust pricing, um, the quicker that the market will recalibrate and demand will return uh, to the market. And I, I actually think, you know, we're starting to see some of our sellers adjust their pricing. I also mentioned this, I think, in the article. Yeah, it's your, sec- your second prediction. Home sales bottoming out as sellers eventually capitulate on price. Yeah. And I think that retail uh, sellers, maybe I'm a little bit uh, projecting or optimistic on this, but I do think retail sellers will, as the spring selling season rolls around, they will follow the lead of these institutional sellers that we have on our platform and start to adjust pricing, realize, okay, the market is what it is. And if we're going to sell, we need to adjust our expectations on pricing. And that actually could bode well for sales volume in 23. I mean, they essentially have to, because if you have investors that are bringing renovated, updated inventory to market and listing at a, you know, a premium over what they bought at, but less than what retail thinks their homes are worth, retail will just sit in perpetuity. And uh, so that really puts a big charge on real estate agents and and brokers to be smart and, um, and influential advisors to their, to their home sellers, because if they, you know, list that, over uh, over market or wherever a seller thinks they should sell based off where their neighbor sold 12 to 18 months ago. Um, you know, that's going to be a stale listing that just results in a lot of wasted time and energy for, for both sides of the transaction. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. I mean, certainly there are sellers that are in a position where they're not, don't have to be in a hurry, but if your goal is to sell and you really do need to sell, then you need to price accordingly. I mean, we're, we're preaching that to our sellers and we're seeing the result, you know, there's positive results. The sellers who were first to adjust pricing in the fourth uh, quarter, we saw a 10% jump in sales rate. You know, that sales rate we were talking about, they saw an immediate reaction in the market. There's still a lot of demand out there in the market if the price is right. And we saw that for the sellers who adjusted in the fourth quarter, sales rate went up 10% immediately. Now, they did see a slight dip in what we call price execution. But we also saw that same similar dip in price execution for uh, sellers who did not adjust. So the buyers are demanding a certain price point, and they're in the position to demand that price point at this point. And the sellers basically need to adjust in, in order to make that sale happen. And the sellers who are adjusting will sell and not really suffer any more negative consequences than other sellers who are not adjusting <laughs> their pricing, if that makes sense. So... Um... Altos Research, which we HousingWire recently acquired, runs a national and local like buyer seller market barometers. And I was looking at the national barometer uh, right before this podcast, and it's like it's still showing sellers market, but it's about to tip to to buyers. And I, I noticed in in your article, your 2023 market forecast, that you see a shift to a buyer's market. Uh, driven by rates, assuming rates do not drop substantially in 2023. So, uh, and and that's like kind of the. I'm I'm glad you caught that little uh, qualifier, <laughs> which is like if if rates don't drop, then sellers will have to capitulate. If they do drop, then maybe we have a little longer standstill. At least that's how I like kind of interpreted your your writing. Today we're flirting with about six percent on the um, kind of average 30 year fixed rate mortgages and. 
most of the forecasters that that I am following uh, are predicting rates in the fives throughout most of of 2023. Um, so, how are you, you know, thinking about the levels inside of the a five percent or six percent band where you we, we run the risk of this buyer seller standoff persisting and sellers not capitulating? Yeah, I think a lower mortgage rates is kind of the pressure release valve that will will help the market in any case. And so I see that as good news to helping to relieve this buyer-seller standoff in any case. There is a very high correlation between that, that sales rate and mortgage rates. I haven't run specific numbers to see what that looks like at different levels, but certainly we would expect that sales rate to go up on our platform as mortgage rates go down. And that's, you know, that's good for us. We sell, <laughs> we get more properties sold and it's good for our sellers. Um, so I think that's kind of the shortcut out of the standoff if mortgage rates come down more quickly. And that would actually then potentially change the possibility of a, uh, a price correction would maybe not be needed to correct the market. But the question is, <laughs> I think the bigger question for the Fed, too, is, you know, if that happens is, you know, have we curbed inflation <laughs> to the extent that we need to from the housing perspective, at least? And so I think that's still what's sitting out there is, are we going to have this? I think the, the possibility of a soft landing, which is kind of what we've been describing just now with mortgage rates going down and the market resetting a little bit, that's a possibility. But I, I also think it's a strong possibility that the Fed's actions will continue to push the envelope and continue to push those mortgage rates higher after a little bit of a brief uh, respite here that we're seeing. Yeah, that's a yeah, it's a tough pill to swallow. Um, we we hang out in the the sixes here, and sellers capitulate a little bit. That's okay. That brings a little um, little liquidity, a little juice to the market. Rates keep going down, and like the the NBA forecast and other economic forecasts, where we pr- see a rate environment in the the mid fives, um, might immediately feel great for the real estate and mortgage market, but could be that that signal to the Fed that there's um, more pain to inflict. <laughs> right, that they have not successfully uh, <laughs> corrected the housing market, which, I mean, it's not, it's certainly, that's not their primary goal, but, you know, it certainly could be a, a sign that the inflation is not totally under control. And the other thing that I can bring up that's kind of an offshoot of this whole topic, and you brought it up earlier, is that we do expect to see foreclosure volume, that gradually rising tide of foreclosure volume that we've already seen, we do expect that to continue in 23. And so more inventory coming on there. It's not any tsunami or flood of inventory, but it is going to be, we expect an increase from 2022, which was an increase from 2021. And, you know, so that will have an impact as well as more of that distressed inventory comes online. Yeah. So like talking about an increase in distress inventory, like we know the second the data lines start pointing in that direction, the housing bears will will come out of the woodwork and start with the, the, I told you so commentary that we know we, we all see on, on Twitter. Um, I know you get some in your feed, uh, Logan Moshami talks about it nonstop about the, the bears, but what do you think is, you know, maybe misunderstood about like the risk of a foreclosure crisis and like how an increase in distressed inventory might be uh, an accurate or, or false signal of like a, a broader 
housing crash, which I think is the word you declined to use earlier. Yeah, I think right now we're just, we're in, in a situation where we're well below even what I would consider normal healthy market foreclosure activity. And so I actually seen it as a warning flag to be so far below normal foreclosure activity. To me, that's a, a warning flag that stuff is potentially being held back that should, you know, foreclosure is a natural and a healthy part of the housing life cycle in a housing market where you rely on financing to, you know, to buy homes, which we do. If there's zero, if there's zero uh, foreclosure, then we should, um, you know, we should have risk of lo- lower mortgage rates to start with. <laughs> I mean, there is no risk in, in lending. Then that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's there's something wrong when we see there's something out of whack, and that could be a warning flag when foreclosures are too low. I would argue even, and so we're in a position right now to me where foreclosure is getting back to 2019 levels, which. Right now, they'd have to double to get back to 2019 levels. Would just be getting back to normal. Would actually be probably, and I don't uh, certainly. I have to be careful about saying this because foreclosure is individually a, a painful situation for each homeowner who goes through it. But from a macroeconomic perspective, you know, it is a natural outflow of of this housing market, and so yeah, we're in a place where we're. Doubling foreclosures would get us back to 2019 levels, which was historic lows in foreclosures already. And so it's hard to imagine a situation where, you know, even a a doubling of foreclosures, if you started to see headlines that foreclosures are up 2x what they were last year, that would not be, to me, a sign that the market is, the larger market is in danger. Um, It actually might be a little bit of a, a sign that things are returning to normal. And that that could be good. And yeah, th- that's that's a context I would look at. I would compare everything to 2019 levels as a benchmark. And then another another comparison benchmark would be 2009 levels. If you want to say, OK, is this as bad as <laughs> 2009? There were uh, over a million completed foreclosures in 2009. In 2019, there were about 200,000. Right now, we're at, like I said, about half that 200,000, actually less than half of that 200,000 level. So those would be the two benchmarks I'd look at in terms of trying to put any increase in foreclosures in context. All right, folks. So you, you heard it here. And uh, six to 12 months, if we see foreclosures double and uh, BuzzFeed publishes an article that the world is ending, um, this is called a return to normal. Am I interpreting that correctly, Dan? That's right. Yeah. I mean, that, I'm sure the headlines will will not just say we're returning to normal. I'm sure they will say we're seeing foreclosures skyrocket, which is not untrue, but it's, you know, not the full context. But it is, I mean, I think we've been pretty clear on this, like for, and, you know, a lot of folks that know the housing economy pretty well, have been pretty clear that the year over year measures of every like housing economic data point are funky right now. Like when you're comparing interest rates from record lows, uh, the fact that they've doubled, yeah, it's painful, but like we're still in like a historically digestible rate environment or that that home sales are down. Yeah, well, we were at records in the last two years. So it's a, um, you know, they're all like painful metrics in their own way, but uh, we're coming off of this environment that records were set in um, 
in every single way, which means that year-over-year data, um, you know, it's it's directional, but uh, to really understand the market, there's there's a there's a reason you go back and look at 2019 and 2009, and understand the historical or or cyclical context of the the metrics that we we all kind of hinge our viewpoints on. Yeah, very well said. I, I would agree with that. It's uh, the volatility during the last few years has been off the charts. Yeah. Well, Darren, I can't thank you enough for for coming on Housing News and and sharing this this perspective and the what you're learning from the data that you derive through auction.com. I think it's a very good perspective to think about how this uh, this investor market can influence retail and what the time frame might be there. So, everybody, if you, if you haven't read Darren's article on his 2023 housing predictions, I'd really encourage you to go to housingwire.com and check it out. We, we've also published a series of. Uh, forecast from from other economists and experts across the housing industry so there's a there's a lot of deep knowledge there but uh start with darren's darren thank you again thanks clayton great great to be here bam Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.